This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. And now, on with the show. Hey everyone, welcome to... We're watching here! We're watching here! This is Opinionated Movie Talk with Chris and Perry. My name is Chris Williams. With me, he's the Netflix to my Quibi, Perry Cyber. <laughs> yes, I'm long form. That's how I roll. <laughs> how are you doing in quarantine land, Perry? Uh, honestly, I'm, I'm very lucky. I'm. Uh, we're good. Uh, everybody here is healthy. Uh, we had a scare when it all started because my oldest was studying overseas in Germany this semester. She's a junior at college. And uh, my wife was over visiting her. And they were both in Germany when uh, Trump did his Oval Office announcement, what was it, five, six weeks ago, saying, yeah, we're shutting down all air travel and everything. Uh, so there was a moment where we thought, hmm, who's, is, is, is mom coming back home? Will Emma ever come home? Uh, and so that was, a, that was a scary few hours till they made it clear that people who live in the country can come home. Uh, and so my wife got home a few days after that. And with, while she was in the air, they canceled my oldest's program, her study abroad program. And so she, she was home the Wednesday after that. And, uh, I will admit to so, an anxious two weeks of, uh, of waiting to make sure that neither of them got any symptoms from transatlantic travel uh and they did not thankfully we've uh, we've been very good and my wife and i are both fortunate enough to be able to work from home so things are uh, things are hunkered down well here in the cybert household that is good how are hear. you doing we are we're good we're good um you know my wife and i are both working from home uh we're very fortunate from that we're uh both healthy kids are healthy we have an eight-year-old and a four-year-old at home and you know, getting my son to do schoolwork has been kind of tricky, but, you know, if that's the worst problem, that's the worst problem. I am deeply in need of a haircut. I could probably stand to trim my fingernails, but I do think we're still a week away from me collecting my urine. So I think we're all good. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's good. a good place to be. Good place to be. Um, I hope all you <laughs> listeners... <laughs> I, I was trying to decide whether to go wave of the future. It's the wave of the future. Wave of the future. But uh, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, I thank you for tuning in. I hope you are all safe and healthy. Uh, I hope you had a chance to listen to our celebration of movie going last week. Uh, if you haven't, listen to it after this one. Um, today, this week, we are just going to talk about what we have been consuming in quarantine. Um TV, movies, and books. I don't think we need to embarrass ourselves by talking about all the pizza and tacos and things that <laughs> making their way in our doors. Um, but I guess an unanticipated or unintended benefit of being home this much is we have had the opportunity to kind of have an excuse to watch TV and movies as much as we want because we cannot do anything else. Perry, I assume that's how you've been spending a lot of your free time. Absolutely. In fact, it's been really nice. I've gotten to go back on my the, the natural circadian rhythms that I have. And so I stay up until about 12 or 1 and wake up about 8 or 9, somewhere in there. And so everybody else in my house goes to bed about 10 o'clock. Oh, 
So I've, I'm watching a movie at night minimum. Wow. <laughs> That's not even what I can sometimes squeeze in during the day. But yeah, it's, it's been, uh, it's, it's been, it's been pretty nice in that capacity. Nice. We had, uh, the first two weeks, I, I work for a university and I was kind of on call like every night and on the weekends to keep things updated because we just had so many changes going on with our students. So I was a little disappointed at first, like, oh, I have all this time at home. I cannot watch any TV or movies because I don't have any time and I'm exhausted. But last three weeks or so, that started to ease off, which means I've been, you know, watching a lot more before I go to bed, a lot more on the weekends. Uh, So it's been nice. It's been nice. Uh, We are going to start off, though, by talking about what we've been reading. It's been a long time since we've done anything about the film books we've been reading. We did a whole episode of that last season that y'all might want to check out. But uh, Perry, what are you reading? We'll just kind of go back and forth. Uh, I, I had a really interesting uh, uh, something transpired that I didn't expect. I, I read a lot, and uh, I read fiction primarily, not exclusively. But I found myself when this first started to go down, I couldn't concentrate. I just couldn't. I was not reading. I was watching a lot of movies, but I just for some reason that was gone. I don't know whether that was because I had you know. During my normal during my normal day, if I have you know ten or fifteen minutes that I can steal, I'll read the book I'm reading. Uh, and I didn't have ten or fifteen minutes I had to steal. <laughs> I was just around, and uh, and that was uh, that was really weird to me. And then uh, what happened was uh, on Alec Baldwin's podcast. Here's the thing: he reran uh, his interview with Patricia Bosworth. Uh, because she passed away from from COVID, uh, Patricia Bosworth was a was a Broadway actress in the late fifties and sixties. She retired in the early seventies and became a journalist. And she's a really great writer who produced books I had always intended to read. These great biographies of Montgomery Clift and Marlon Brando and Jane Fonda. And I always meant to read them. There, I have a keep a list of things I I'm gonna read, and they'd always been there. And I thought, well, this is my reason. And thankfully, my local library had them available electronically. And I literally inhaled the Brando book in two days. It was so so well done. And, and I'm in the middle of the Montgomery Clift book, which is uh, honestly one of the best celebrity biographies I have ever read. I I really like Montgomery Clift. I'm a large fan of his work and i knew i thought much not necessarily a great deal but much about him and his childhood his family lineage is fascinating i don't know about you but i i always like shudder at the beginning of any biography that begins with the grandparents yes yes i always hate the obligatory (laughs) three page about grandparents but this it's necessary like it really is crucial to understanding who he is and where he came from and his his very uh i don't want to say disturbed but let's say incredibly uh unusual uh unique and problematic childhood that monty clift experienced uh boy i can't recommend these books enough yeah patricia bosworth uh brando and and monty i've All been right. enjoying them tremendously I will add those to my list. Uh, mine, uh, the first one I've been reading has, is definitely not as illustrious, not as, uh, not as well researched. Uh, actually, no, I'm gonna take that back. It's probably pretty well researched. It's just a much more, maybe trivial thing, but I have read, uh, I, I, and I, I devoured this in like two or three sittings. It is The Office, the untold story of the greatest sitcoms of the 2000s <laughs> in oral history. Uh, this is by Andy Green. <laughs> 
Um, I knew this was coming out. I had seen some advertisements, and I downloaded it to my Kindle as soon as I had a chance. Um, you know, The Office is definitely gained this this, this note noteworthiness in the last few years as it's kind of become available on streaming services. People have quote unquote discovered it, um, and, and I haven't really sat and watched it in a few years. Uh, but I was really excited to read this book, even though I thought I knew all of the stories about making this show. And uh, this is really, this is a fun book. If you were a fan of The Office, he talks to pretty much anyone who ever appeared on there. Um, I think maybe the only person, <laughs> maybe the only person he doesn't get is Amy Adams. Um, but I mean, most guest stars are on there. The writers, producers, everyone from the British show is on there. And it really talks about how this show, which is really, you know, you think about it in its wake, we've had Parks and Rec, we've had Modern Family, uh, but The Office was really the show that developed the whole mockumentary template, and it's easy to forget how groundbreaking that was, but we've talked about this before, I, those first two or three seasons are just fantastic sitcom seasons, and to listen to them talk about how they developed the different arcs, and how they figured out kind of to make Michael Scott a little more likable and work with Steve Carell's talents and, and figure out what would make that character pop. It, it's really fun. Uh, it's an honest book. They really go into kind of the whole miscommunication and, you know, potentially like disrespect shown by NBC that led to Steve Carell not returning for the show. Um, yeah. They are very honest about the fact that the last two seasons of that show are a mess. Um, that they wanted to take it, you know, that they wanted to take it in a whole different direction with who would be the boss of the office. But NBC wanted a certain star of The Hangover to frontline the show. And uh, yeah, it's it's fun. It's a very funny read. Uh, yeah, I, I highly recommend it if you liked The Office. It, it's it's a fun read. I'm a sucker for oral histories. And uh, this this just flew by for me. Can I can I shameless plug from my past? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Chris, you, you're, you know, we uh, we we've sat down and had this talk, but you're, you're not my first podcast partner. No. And uh, years ago, I did a a very enjoyable TV uh, podcast called TV Geek Out with uh, Heather and Dana, uh, friends of mine, and we uh, we you know we started with the intention to talk about all sorts of shows. And by the end, it literally turned into just Office and Mad Men. <laughs> and so there are if you if you love The Office and are interested, you can still find us. We're everywhere. The TV Geek Out uh, TV Geek Out lives lives long in its its history. Uh, if you are a big fan of The Office and want to go back for really detailed references, because we would record the show usually on Fridays, so we'd talk about the previous episode. And it would be like I listen to them now, and if I haven't just watched the episode, I, I I'm making some sort of reference and cracking up, and I have no idea what the reference is anymore. <laughs> it's it's really minute, but it's 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 still a pretty enjoyable listen. Okay, I'll have to like, go back and check that in my backlogs. I have the time. So, <laughs> <laughs> you reading anything else? Uh, yeah, no, no, no. How about you? I am. I'll include one more um, because this is a book we actually talked about on our podcast that you had recommended. Uh, when we did that episode of book recommendations, I think over the summer, you recommended My Year at the Movies by Kevin Murphy. <gasps> and You're reading it! I am. I actually bought the book 
the week after we had recorded that podcast episode. Um, and it's just kind of had sat on my shelf. And so it's one of those things where I, you know, it, it's to those who didn't listen to the episode, uh, shame on you first off, but, uh, it is <laughs> Kevin Murphy, who used to be involved with mystery science theater 3000. Uh, this is back in 2000. He, uh, he made the decision to go to a movie every day in a the- in the theater, uh, and he writes about it, and he writes about the diverse movie-going experiences he has over the course of a year. And this is a book I'm not sitting down to read like for hours at a time, but it's definitely one of those books, if I have a few free minutes, I'm picking it up, flipping through it. It's a good porch book. Um, it is a really entertaining read, and I-, I highly recommend it because he does go to so many different diverse movie-going experiences. So he writes about... Everything from the mall movie theater, which is pretty much the same everywhere in the country, uh, to yeah. going to a Eskimo theater made entirely of ice in Quebec. Yes. Uh, he writes about showing movies on the beach in Mexico, watching movies while he's suffering a kidney stone attack, uh, museum movies. <laughs> I, it really... Uh, I, I wanted to bring this up last week on our podcast, and I totally forgot, but reading this book at this time when I can't go to the movies is it's therapeutic. It really, it really just kind of hits that. Okay. I can't go, but I can be reminded of how unique and fun it can be to go see a movie in the theater. Even when that movie's terrible, even when I'm having a kidney stone, <laughs> um, it's a funny book. It's a <laughs> very enjoyable read. I I'm, I'm kind of pacing myself on it because it's one of those books. I kind of don't want to get to the end to because I'm, just enjoying it that much. I will tell you, you are going to get to the Thanksgiving Day uh, entry in the diary, and it is that's one of the funniest just chunks of writing I've ever read. It's it's one of my ten favorite you know, chunks of something ever. The story he tells is so good, and he tells it so well. Uh, you'll you you will never forget it. I I am I am I am going to go out and live and say like me. It is the thing you will remember most vividly from the book when you finish it. I can't, I can't wait for you to get to it. I'm excited to talk about it. I'm looking forward to that. I think I'm in. I, I'm actually in April right now, so I'm kind of like the same time of year we're in. Uh, what's really fun is to look and see how many movies he was he was seeing that were current releases that I had yeah. utterly forgotten exist. <laughs> so, uh, and also to realize in the year 2000 is when the Fast and the Furious franchise first started that might be one of our longest running franchises and uh it started there stealing tvs and dvd players and now they're secret agents um living my life <laughs> quarter mile out of time terry let's let's move on to tv what are you watching on tv right now tv streaming oh um, so much stuff um let's start with uh let's start with the oldest thing i've been watching how's okay. that that sounds good so I am. Uh, I think. We, I think I've probably mentioned this on the show. I'm a big fan of uh, of, of crime fiction. I read a lot of crime fiction and uh, detective fiction. Every, you know, from the classics, the Dashiell Hammett and Raymond Chandler, up to present day stuff. And uh, one of my favorite runs of books like this is uh, Robert B. Parker's Spencer novels. Okay. Uh, Ace Atkins has written the last eight or seven or eight. He took over the series after Parker passed away. Um, and I love those books. They are, they are, they're comfort food, potato chip books for me. I, I, I love them. Uh, and I had never watched the old 80s series 
Spencer for Hire. Oh! Uh, and after suffering through the uh, Spencer Confidential debacle that is on Netflix currently, starring Mark Wahlberg, I thought, well, they must have done this character better on the old TV show, right? And it turns out it's on IMDb TV right now. I so you can watch the old... You, uh, I, I hook into it through my Amazon. It's one of my choices is IMDb TV. Okay. You just find it. And they have a wide selection of uh, movies and TV shows that are free, but it's got commercials. That's okay. all it is. Oh. And so I've watched about the first nine or ten of the – it only lasted a couple seasons. I remember it being on. I remember the ads. It was Robert Uricus Spencer. Uh, and Avery Brooks played Hawk. And if you know the books, you'll know that Hawk is the best character. And if uh, – granted, they are hampered by the limits of network television in the 80s. Uh, and they're, you know, they're hampered by only being 48 minutes. Like, they're about 48 minutes. That was back how much how much show you could have. Mm-hmm. There were only 12 minutes of commercial time during a, an hour show, not 18 minutes. Uh, but they really, at least early on, I don't know if it falls apart, but they really do capture the spirit and tone of the books uh, as well as you could expect a show to do at that time. Uh, Robert Urich's a hair too pretty to be Parker, but he's he's perfectly believable in the part. And it's really fun. The show, I think the show went from like 85 to 86. I think I'm writing about that range. And there's this amazing, uh, the second episode features work by, appearances by uh, Patricia Clarkson, plays the bad guy. <laughs> the really young Patricia Clarkson. Um also, uh, who else is it? There's some. Oh, uh, William H Macy shows up in a in a scene that's played entirely in like a long shot. So like oh, wow. you can't. I, I'm watching this. And they're walking along and talking. I'm like, oh, that's definitely Macy's voice. Like no doubt, you recognize William H Macy's voice, but you don't see a close up at all of him. And so he's he's relegated to the the back end credits. He has. I keep hoping he'll come back because he's like a DA or something. Uh, so that's just a blast. To watch these, to watch these great television appearances by these amazing actors early in their career. Uh, yeah, I've been having a, a lot of fun with 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 Spencer for Hire. That is Spencer for Hire on IMDb, IMDb TV, uh, which Indeed. I am just learning as a thing, and uh, that's good to know. Uh, I'm not going to start with what's the oldest. I am going to go kind of from uh, most of the TV I've been watching. I, I've really enjoyed, but I'm going to kind of start with my least favorite. And move up to what I've really loved. And I'm going to start with the thing that just makes me feel like a horrible human being. Um, which is, my wife and I watched Tiger King on Netflix. And, uh, <laughs> I, I'm laughing at you, Chris. I, I, you have... You should. Uh, it is... Uh, I, I'm guessing you did not get caught up in the Tiger King uh, hype. No, I this. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I am joking. I have no problem that you watched it oh, at I, all, or I, that anybody would watch it. But it is so not anything I wanted to spend time with that, at this point in my life. I have a problem with myself for watching it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is obviously this is a hugely popular show because train wrecks are usually pretty popular. Uh, this is a seven part quote unquote documentary series on Netflix. It's a reality show. It, it really is starting out to be this look at people who own big game cats and the kind of eccentric behaviors that they engage in. But really, it is just a look at really a collection of the 
worst human beings. Uh, and, and, you know, at the center of it is Joe Exotic, who is this Oklahoma zoo owner who is this self-described redneck, gun-toting, gay <laughs> zoo owner uh, who ran for president a few years back. That is... None of that is the most fascinating stuff. He he has attempted to murder people. He is in jail for that right now. Uh, he has owned several tigers. He had his own public TV show in which he made death threats to animal rights activists. Um, but it's, it, you know, it kind of uses him as the focal point to draw you into this crazy world where basically everyone is some kind of... Uh, violent thug or cult leader uh most of them have a harem um it's it's really i i bring it up only to say i understand the popularity it has been hugely popular because it is a car crash and you cannot look away and these shows traffic in i can't believe they're showing this i can't believe this person is this way uh and and it was definitely it was junk food for about a good week, every night my wife and I would sit down and watch an episode or two, and it was just compulsive. It's like, we've got to watch this. And it began to sink in probably about five episodes in. I'm like, I don't think any of this is turning out well, and I don't think they really care about the cats. And sure enough, you get to the end, and it's it's literally you know a story of attempted murder and blackmail and drugs and five minutes crammed into the end of, isn't it sad that people keep cats? Um, so, <laughs> uh-huh. so I, I bring it up to say, uh, I, I watched it. I, you know, I, I'm usually proud of my viewing choices, but uh, I, I will cop to being the average person uh, who it, get, it gets really sucked in by this and then just feels very dirty at the end of it. Uh, <laughs> my takeaway was every person on this show deserves to be in prison. Um, probably the people who made it and uh, maybe maybe some of his viewers but that's tiger king it's on netflix i will just admit to watching it and say yeah i know but uh so that, that that's my that's my view that i feel really bad for is tiger king um the rest of the that's all right so what else we're going got? through a hard time that's there's right. no there's nothing to apologize for it's uh... Yeah. Uh, I took full advantage of HBO taking down uh, the paywall for oh. some of their uh, some of their programming. Okay. Uh, this uh, this last month uh, because I don't subscribe to HBO. I wish I did. I just don't for some reason. Uh, and so I catch stuff from HBO piecemeal, like every once in a while. If I'm if I'm you know with my parents or my in laws, I'll catch some stuff and catch up. Or if there's a free weekend, or if there's some sort of way, I sometimes I can get DVDs of stuff from mm-hmm. my local library. Um, so I took advantage and binged watched both, uh, the, the second season of Barry, cause I had seen the oh, first, yeah, yeah. uh, and I was very excited to see what they would do with the second season of that show. And boy, all I will say is that, uh, uh, Bill Hader is ready to direct a feature. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the episode, uh, Ronnie Lilly in which he has to go and, uh, take care of in quotes uh the uh the guy who'd been sleeping with the wife of the police officer detective who was going to uh, put barry in jail is 
just about the best directed 30 minutes of TV I've seen in quite some time. Is that the one with it the is kid? This, yep. Yeah, okay, yes, yep, yep. <laughs> it is just an exquisitely created 30-minute action film, basically. Mm-hmm. The uh, action comedy film at that, that I loved because it reminded me of the same feeling I had watching Jonah Hill's mid-90s, which is a film I liked a great deal, because it felt like this is the work of a film nerd, not someone who feels the need to reference, not someone who wants to show off what they've seen, just someone who has absorbed everything and knows how to both use and augment in their own way stuff that they know works. Mm -hmm. It's a really fantastic 30 minutes visually. It's great. It's almost silent. (laughs) <laughs> for long there's, there's at least a good 10 minutes before there's a line of dialogue that matters in the yeah. episode during the most insane taekwondo fight i've ever seen <laughs> yep. because you're invested it's not that it's crazy because it's gonzo nuts it's you actually care you are invested in the characters and so when they get hurt it hurts and you want him to beat this guy but not too bad it really works on so many levels. Enjoyed season two tremendously. Uh, and I also got to watch all of Succession because I had seen none of Succession. I have still so seen I burned that. Through, uh, I burned through seasons one and two of Succession, which is uh, accomplishes the very difficult feat of making really unlikable characters utterly compelling. Hmm. And I still want to watch them, even though I'm not rooting for them in any capacity at all, uh, which is always fun. It's always fun when I can, uh, when a director and writer can uh, can split me like that. I enjoy it uh, tremendously. Uh, really good ensemble acting, uh, some really big laughs. Uh, the show is funnier than I was led to believe it is. Purposefully, uh, it's it's a it's a smart, very fun soap opera. It's it's an old fashioned nighttime soap opera. That's all it is, uh, but really enjoyable one for it. I will have to check that out. Succession has been on my list to catch up with for, well, whatever the last two seasons it's been on, I have not caught episode one of that, and I need to. Uh, But Barry, I am a huge fan of Barry. I I loved the first and second season of that. Bill Hader is fantastic. Stephen Root is fantastic. Henry Winkler's fantastic. Uh, It's just a great show. Uh, Yeah, good choices. I would also recommend Catch Up on Watchmen if it's on there. Uh, Watchmen is fantastic. I it is not they're keeping that behind the paywall snugly but next time I'm around I will give that a look I I look forward to hearing what you think of that it is really something um for me I'm I'm my next choice that I that I caught up on this year uh well this year of a month that it's been uh (laughs) I I was really intrigued reading that book about the office um it really brought to mind the fact that I had not gone back and watched the British office since Oof. the American one aired. And I thought that was really interesting because I had seen the BBC office way before the American one aired. And I had always compared the two with the idea in my head that the British one was the better show. Uh, and I think a lot of that's just, you know, I came to that first. That was my window into that. And I really enjoyed Ricky Gervais. So I pulled up the UK version on Amazon, uh, both seasons and the Christmas special are on there. And in the space of yes. about a week or two, I I went through that whole season again, which was, or that whole series again, 
which was really fascinating to watch in light of having seen all the episodes of the NBC show and to realize yes. my thoughts on that have changed. Um, I, <laughs> I really, I enjoyed going back to the British show. I still think Ricky Gervais, that that might be my favorite thing he's done. Um, I, I, I think it's just, it, it's really, he, he captures the cringeworthiness really well. You still, I mean, even more now you watch this 20 years after they filmed it and it's, oh, wow, I can't believe we thought that was funny then. I can't believe we thought that was even appropriately inappropriate at that point to make jokes about this thing. Um, and it's it was a fun watch because I do like Gervais on that. I really like Martin Freeman. But you just, realize, you just realize how much richness the NBC show brought. Um, the, the way they found a way to make the boss sympathetic, still a buffoon, but not a jackass. Uh, how they managed to flesh out every character in that office. I mean, they had so many more episodes, even in the space of a season, than the British show ever had. But yes. um, you, you just, uh, watching the British one, it really, I laughed a lot, but I also just realized I was really uncomfortable most of the time. And it's it's very dark. It's very despairing much of the yes. time. And, you know, y- you had at least John Krasinski, who was... You know, the every guy, the guy who's looking at the camera, same way Martin Freeman is, but he's, things go okay for Jim. And Martin Freeman's Tim is just a character who life craps on for 12 of the 13 episodes. And it's it's so much to take to watch that all compressed into that. Um, yes. Yeah, I appreciated it. I, I do like um, Mackenzie Crook quite a bit as Gareth, but I, I realized... That Rain Wilson just totally invented a wonderful, much richer character in Dwight. Uh, it, it was fascinating, and now I kind of want to go back and watch The American Office again. And, uh, <laughs> so, so it is on Amazon. If you haven't seen it, I do recommend it because I think Gervais is probably—I don't want to say the most likable he's been, but the most tolerable, maybe. Um, <laughs> you, you know. He, he he's not supposed to, he's supposed to be hateful there. Um, in in real life, I, he just kind of grates me. Um, but it, it's worth watching to see where everything from the British, the American one came from to kind of see the roots there. But I think the American one just kind of perfected the formula. They're just they're different beasts. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I I also prefer the American one, but they had more time and they were doing something very different. Mm-hmm. That British show is a tone poem. It is it is just hitting this tone over and over yeah. and over and it's and it can do it because it's so compacted. It is only six hours and, and then the Christmas special. Uh which and imagine thinking about that show without the Christmas special. Oh my gosh, <laughs> it's, yeah. It's like you know, it's like, it's really painful. Uh it's I, I, I don't like to I hate seeing the American one is better. Because I just think they're very different. They're, they're, what they had to do, the time they had to fill, the markets they were made for were so vastly different yeah. that it really is two completely different uh, goals within the same material. And yeah, you can appreciate – and all you need to do is to watch the first season of The American Office to realize how 
bad it would be if they tried to do the British show, which is what they were doing, especially the pilot. Mm -hmm. The office, the American office pilot is really not good because you can't, we don't accept a character that awful. Yeah. And they had not figured out how to make Michael Scott likable. And the the one I remember the, the, uh, the episode in season two, when he takes Tim Meadows uh, to lunch, he lands that account uh, at the Chili's. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> with with Jan, that was the episode. I mean, I I loved the American Office from uh, the the basketball episode in season one was where I thought, okay, they figured out how to differentiate this. I I will I will commit to you. That was the episode in season two where I went, oh, now you finally figured out the one thing you had to do in the American version. You had to make Michael good at his job, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is so not the case <laughs> in the British Office. No, not at all. <laughs> um, and once they figured that out, I realized, oh, this is going to be a much richer experience because it has to be. They got to fill 22 episodes, not yep. six. Yep. Um, did you ever catch up? They did a David Brent movie a few years ago for Netflix. And, I never did. Um, I never did watch it. I I'm, should. I made it halfway through. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I made it halfway through and was like, oh, no, I, I can't, can't do this one. Um, not because it was too awkward or dark, but it just... For some, it, none of it connected. It, none of it made yeah. me laugh. Um, which, it, you know, Ricky Gervais has always been kind of hit and miss. I, I I do love Extras. I think Extras was a really good show. Um, and I did love An Idiot Abroad, the first two seasons of that, um, which was the docuseries he did that was uh, really funny. Um, what did you think of The Invention of Lying? I really enjoyed The Invention of Lying, actually. Yeah, um, me too. I, I thought that was a really clever movie. Um me too. Yeah, yeah, I did enjoy that one. Other you mentioned that. Um, what else did you have on your TV list? Uh, well, we'll go up. We'll go. Uh, so, uh, needing something to watch when we're all uh, when when the whole family's in front of the TV, and uh, I, I was the only one in the house who'd watched Community, and oh. I adored Community. Mm-hmm. And I will confess, I'm one of those people who never watched Community after the first episode of season four. The season without Dan Harmon, okay. <laughs> where I went, well, this has gone to hell, and never went back. And so didn't really pay attention to seasons five or six. And so uh, we were going through 30 Rock, which was back on Amazon, which uh, my oldest adores and my youngest got done with. We, we, we petered out. She didn't want to keep going with it uh, somewhere around season five. Uh, but Community came on, and she fell in love. With community, so we have been doing multiple episodes of Community every day. We are halfway nice. through season five. Uh, what twenty? We're recording this on the twenty third of April, <laughs> mm-hmm. so a lot of Community, <laughs> and uh, just been enjoying. Uh, that was I, I, I'm I am a uh, not that I think everything Dan Harmon does is brilliant, but I am a Harmon enthusiast. I listen to every episode of Harmon Town. <laughs> I was one of my very favorite podcasts. Uh, that show, that show was, uh, it's truly amazing that was on network TV. Yes. It's really hard to believe that that was on network TV. Yeah. <laughs> it is so unusual and, uh, and so, uh, such a writer's show, uh, such a unique vision, a singular vision to get on network TV. It, it, that doesn't happen. Uh, <laughs> often if ever but it did for a few seasons uh yeah 
So the first three seasons of Community, I can't, I can't praise enough, and I'm, I'm glad it's on Netflix. I need to go back and rewatch Community. Um, I did make it through. I think I've seen everything but the sixth season. Uh, so I, you know, I was a huge fan the first three seasons. Uh, the Dan Harmonless one is uh, not good. Um, <laughs> but I, I remember there being a few that I kind of was like, it's not bad. That gets close. Uh, season five was much better when he returned, and then. I think season six actually aired on Yahoo and that's correct. That is why I never caught up with it. I just yep. not bring myself to go to the Yahoo player, but now that they're on Netflix, I need to go back and, you know, I could probably just rewatch the, or watch the sixth season, but I think I want to go back to the beginning because, uh, Donald Glover, I, there are a few things that make me laugh harder than Donald <laughs> Glover on that show bursting into tears <laughs> the, Which he did often he did yes. often and it was always funny uh i i loved that i love uh the paintball episode uh that justin lynn did which i just that was when the show i i kind of raised an eyebrow and was like this show is not like anything i've seen before yeah um yeah oh that's a good choice i do enjoy community um I'm, it has it has the one it's it is the only uh it is the only example I can think of of something that absolutely does a straight up Goodfellas parody that works. Mm-hmm. Like there's it's, a lot of people try, they did it. <laughs> yeah, it goes a long way with me. Uh, yeah, I will have to. I need to go back and rewatch that. I uh, I am sorry to hear uh, your your daughter tapped out on uh, Thirty Rock and. Five seasons. Me too. Uh, I, I wish. I wish. I. Jo- I wanted her to get to the episode that Donald Glover wrote in uh, season five, where the uh, the new female writer gets hired. That's <laughs> that. I think that's the great last gasp of the show. Because uh, even even. I mean, I ad- I think Thirty Rock is absolutely brilliant, but even I'll say those last couple seasons are not great. That show. <laughs> that show fell off a cliff. Not that it's unwatchable, but it really, it really dipped quality wise, and it's uh, uh, by its end. But we stopped watching before that happened. I seem to remember its final season. I really liked, um, but I know it was kind of on shaky ground before then. But I do remember really enjoying the last season. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, Thirty Rock's good. All those NBC shows from that point period are just really enjoyable. Um, I, I, the one I want to talk about a lot that I just finished this week, uh, I have been so happy to be home and have the time to catch up when the latest series, latest season of Better Call Saul has been airing on AMC. Uh, Mm -hmm. they, they just did the season finale. It'll be the final season is next year or whenever they get TV out there again. Um, but they aired the fifth season finale this week. Uh, this is the rare show. We don't have cable and it airs on AMC. And I like this show so much that I signed up. I bought the entire season for 20 bucks on Amazon so I could have the episodes the day after they aired. Um, were you a breaking bad person? Uh, I actually finally watched breaking bad in full, like, uh, either just last year or two years ago. Okay. I came very late to breaking bad. Um, because I had, I just didn't, st- I just didn't start watching it when it was on. And then there was other stuff going on and I was told, this is great. This is great. This is great. So it's not like I could join in halfway through. And, uh, it was, yeah, it was last year or two years ago. I finally watched all of it. Okay. Um, Better Call Saul obviously is the prequel. Um, I have been kind of inching this way 
since probably the second or third season of the show. Um, I can now confidently say I think Better Call Saul is a better show than Breaking Bad. Um, <laughs> it it is the rare it, it's the rare beast in that it's a prequel that actually has suspense. Um, this is this is you know the show of how obviously Bob Odenkirk's character became this crooked lawyer, um, but it is not Breaking Bad. It is a very slow burn for the first three seasons especially this look at this character who's a con man and kind of wrestling with whether he's gonna go straight or whether he's kind of feels compelled to be you know this guy who takes shortcuts and takes advantage of people um and the show's masterstroke has been and especially this season they've given him a girlfriend uh ray seahorn plays kim his you know, his girlfriend as the show goes on and it's invested so much in the fact that we don't know where this character is at during Breaking Bad. Uh, she's not a character who was ever mentioned on Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. She has become the show's heart and the show has kind of milked a lot of tension on the fact that we don't know where she's at when when this you know when Breaking Bad occurs and you think one thing but. The genius of the show is the character was taken in such a direction this year that by the end of the show, I was concerned about her for totally different reasons. I, I'm being purposefully vague. <laughs> um, it you. is it is the rare show where you are not so much invested in where a character lives or dies. You are just you're very concerned about their soul. Um, it, it, <laughs> you know, when this show started. I really thought, oh, I love Bob Odenkirk. It's going to be really fun to watch him be this, you know, kind of crazy, underhanded lawyer, watch him get the best of people. And the genius of the show is that it actually makes you want to never see that occur. Uh, You like him so much that you don't ever want to see him take that step that he's going to take on Breaking Bad. Um, It's just, it's fascinating. It is wonderfully acted. Uh, Jonathan Banks is on it, also in Breaking Bad. He's great. Uh, and Community. And Community, yep. Uh, Giancarlo Esposito is in it, uh, and he is fantastic. Um, this season they brought on, uh, no, two seasons ago, they brought on Tony Dalton as a uh, as one of the cartel guys. And he, you know, last season he was kind of this guy who you didn't know his purpose on the show. And this year he just turned into one of the great TV villains. So much fun to watch. Um, <laughs> I don't think any show does montages better than the Better Call Saul Breaking Bad universe. The cinematography is gorgeous. I, I love this show. I am so happy that uh, the this spinoff works as well as it does because, you know, spinoffs can tarnish the legacy of the original or they can be something special. And this is really a special one. Um, and I think the first four seasons are all on Netflix and uh, it is well worth it. Yeah. I don't, I don't love breaking bad as much as a lot of people do. I, I like breaking bad. I think it's very good. I understand why people love it. I just don't, I don't share that love. And uh, everybody who knows me well has said, you need to watch this, that I'll like this better. I think you would. <laughs> and I believe them. And I'm not, I'm not, not watching because I don't think I'll like it. It's just another one of those where, all right, hour long episodes. <laughs> it's hard for me to commit if there's not a time limit, if I got to watch this or it's going to go away. <laughs> I, I think you would dig this one. I, I think this is a show you would really like. I will be watching it. Uh, what else you got in TV? 
Uh, and I, well, it's rare. So my wife and I have, have, uh, we just have different tastes in, uh, in the stories we like to, uh, to have told. And so it's very rare that we can find something that we're watching together. But, uh, we have AMC to thank for, uh, we are, we are in the throes of dispatches from elsewhere, which is currently airing on AMC, which I knew nothing about. Uh, uh, my wife was intrigued by the trailers. I liked the cast. I truly knew nothing about it. And I sit down to watch the first episode and I catch in the opening credits that it's based on a documentary called The Institute, which I have seen (laughs) (laughs) and reviewed and thought, oh, I know what this is now. And um, that's been really weird to (laughs) to watch a fictionalized take on a documentary. Um, I highly recommend the documentary. Uh, it's it's about this real life, for lack of a better term, I'm just going to call it uh, performance art installation that happened, uh, where people basically like got uh, it, it was like a murder mystery. I'm really really stream streamlining this. <laughs> that was established by this uh, this artist who set up all these weird things that it would force people if you got caught up in it to to go do not force but you would you know you would be encouraged to take part and learn this giant backstory about the jejun institute and uh you'd wonder if they were good or bad and how they were uh they they were looking for this missing girl and maybe they wanted to save her and maybe they wanted to hurt her and the documentary is fascinating because the project was so fascinating uh, and the documentary suffers from the same problem that the real project does, where uh, they didn't know quite how to end it. <laughs> they don't have an ending for this thing that they created. And so uh, so that's weird. But it works because the whole point of this was to get people out of their regular realm of thought and experience and to experience new things and to try new things. Uh, and that's that very much comes across in the documentary, that that's the goal. And uh, I realized why they someone would think this would be a really good idea for a, a fictionalized uh, telling. It follows four people who are playing the game. And it very much is like David Fincher's The Game. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, I am I'm withholding judgment on whether or not I like this series until I see how they resolve it. And that's kind of how I've been since about 20 minutes into the first show, because <laughs> I realized exactly what they were going to do. And so now I'm just waiting to find out how it's going to resolve. I've been watching 10 hours of television to find out, <laughs> all right, just get me to the end. What's good. Is this any good or not? I'll know when it's over. Uh, but uh, I would, uh, you know, I would not tell anyone not to tune in. If you're at all interested, I'm sure they are all available on demand through AMC since the first season is still airing. Uh, but yeah, dispatches from elsewhere has been my, my, my date viewing with my wife. Interesting. Tiger King was my date viewing with my wife. <laughs> I want to also something you had to wait till the end to find out if you liked it or not. Interesting. I had to. I had to wait till the end of Tiger King to find out if I liked myself or not. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That sounds interesting. That's Jason Segal, right? It is. He created it and wrote a bunch of the episodes, and he's he's sort of masterminding it. Okay, I I might have to check that out. um, Probably once it becomes available on some sort of streamer. Um, But I do like Jason Segal. Um, An absolutely great supporting uh, work by Richard E. Grant. If okay. you're a Richard E. Grant fan, 
this is mandatory viewing. I will have to add that. Uh, the only other one I have that I've been watching is uh, I have, you know, I, I've been turning to kind of comfort food a lot lately throughout this whole pandemic. And one of the things I've really enjoyed uh, on Disney Plus, they have every season of The Simpsons. And so I have gotten into the habit of before bed every night watching one or two episodes of The Simpsons. Uh, for some reason, I just decided to start at random in season five. Uh, and within just the past week, I've watched Homer and Apu, Homer Loves Flanders, Deep Space Homer, obviously all centered on Bart. But, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I, you know, I remember once thinking that if, uh, and I think I put it on Facebook and saw this post the other day, but I remember thinking if they ever put The Simpsons on Netflix, my productivity is so screwed. Um, because I, you know, I would regularly in high school and college come home and they would have a two block, two hour block of reruns on every weekday. And I would just be lost for two hours to watching Simpsons. And, um, <laughs> thankfully now that it's on Disney plus, I, I, you know, I, I don't get that caught up in it. I've seen most of these episodes three or four times, but, um, to go back to those classic seasons, it's just, it's such a joy because, the writing on that show was so whip smart and it's so like it still works it's it's so centered on american behavior and human behavior and pop culture that goes beyond whatever was happening in that instant that it still all works it still feels relevant and it just it makes me laugh so hard um the one of the greatest things that happened this week was i was on the couch watching an episode i think it was deep space homer where he goes to Na goes to Mars, or no, not Mars. He just goes into space, and my wife kind of wandered in, sat down, kind of looked at it with like a raised eyebrow, like "Why are you watching a cartoon?" And within five minutes, she was laughing just as hard as I was. And uh, <laughs> it just it, it's a joy of a show to watch. I, I I don't think you can go wrong with seasons three through ten of that. Uh, I, I think it's as good as any TV show's been, and. I'm very happy to have access to that, even if it's not in the correct aspect ratio yet, which it will be next month. <laughs> I'm glad they're going to correct that. The, the, Just like they did on FX. I really wish they would put the commentaries on, though. I used to I used to have the DVD box sets, and they had, um, they had some really great commentaries on all those episodes. And Disney Plus, uh, go figure, doesn't want to have those extras that will uh, keep you on one thing. They want you to watch all the uh, <laughs> other stuff they have out there. So that is my TV viewing. Excellent. Excellent. Well-rounded as always. Did you have any more TV or you want to hop into movies? No, or? we can move on to movies. All right. Well, I will start on movies and kind of like I did with, uh, with TV, I'm starting at the things I enjoyed the least uh, and then building up to the best thing I saw. So um, I will caveat this by saying much of my movie viewing has been watching movies with my kids. Uh, so there are definitely a few more family-oriented things than, uh, than normal, but uh, some of them are really good, so, so that's been fun to see. But I will start with Trolls World Tour, which we rented for my daughter a few weeks ago. Uh, this was the <laughs> first of the big theatrical releases to move to an on-demand platform. Uh, Entirely. Yeah, yep. never got a theatrical release, right? Yep. And you paid $20 for this movie, which 
you know, is less than going to a movie theater for four people. So I, I get Absolutely. that. Um, but I'm going to tell you, are you familiar with the trolls <clears throat> mythology? Oh, Chris, I have to say, I have, uh, I have written extensively about like, like the Sam Lurian, that, that mm-hmm. Tolkien novel that, that breaks down the entire rings universe. I have studied the trolls universe with that. Deg- no, no, Chris, I know nothing <laughs> about the trolls. No. Well, good. I'm going to enlighten you. Now, I think I did see trolls. Please. Think I saw Trolls the movie sometime when my daughter was watching it, but I wasn't paying a t- I, I wasn't paying a ton of attention. I remember it was something about trolls running around from ogres, and there was a Justin Timberlake troll who was sad, and he became happy at the end. Pretty straightforward. Trolls World Tour is I, I don't even know that I can get this right, but I'll just try and boil it down to the fact that the trolls who you followed through the first movie find out they are not the only trolls in the world. No, there are numerous types of trolls, and they're all oriented (laughs) along types of music. So there are country trolls, hard rock trolls. Oh, we're not (laughs) digging into any dangerous stereotypes here, are we, Chris? Uh, uh, Actually, it, it does okay by that. Uh, but there are there are, rap trolls? Are uh, there hip-hop trolls? I, I, there are reggae trolls. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure that's culturally sensitive. The, I have no doubt. There are, there are reggae trolls, smooth jazz trolls, um, and one of the evil hard rock trolls wants to steal their string so they can make all the music. And Perry, what I just described to you is not what I would have envisioned as the plot of a movie but the plot of a stage show at Six Flags Amusement Park where they need an excuse sure. to come out and cover a whole bunch of shitty songs. And that's basically what Trolls, Trolls World, World Tour on Ice? Oh, it, that, that's, that's what that should be? Yes, yeah. it is. I, I, it's the weirdest, just most frantic thing. I, you once told me how you felt watching Lego Movie, uh, which I don't share that. Oh. I, I love Lego Movie. But... I, you were kind of describing how frantic and shrill you thought it was. And that is how I felt about Trolls World Tour, is is this yeah. loud, fast-moving, fart-joke-filled movie that I just... You know, even the music, I could not get into the music because they would play a song for about five seconds and then switch to another song. And yep. it was oh, it was annoying, and what really disappointed me was an utter waste of Rachel Bloom from crazy ex-girlfriend, which is a show I adore. And, uh, she's basically just playing kind of a hard rock troll, uh, whose dad is Ozzy Osbourne because (laughs) the kids love a good Ozzy Osbourne joke. Um, you know, they get it. They've been there. Yeah. They, they also really got the, uh, hammer time joke, uh, that, that was trotted out about 15 minutes. in. So I'm just, I, I, I'm mentioning <laughs> Trolls World Tour not because I think a lot of people are going to run out and rent it unless they have kids and they probably already have, but I mean this was the first movie to debut entirely on digital since this started. It's a big so deal. It's, it's noteworthy. It's noteworthy because it's just felt like torture. Uh, so that's Trolls World Tour. <laughs> All right. <laughs> what do you got? Uh, I'm going to go on the entire opposites of the of the cinematic spectrum. Uh, and I, I took full advantage of this uh, unexpected uh, amount of free time to uh, – I, I had uh, been hacking away at on Criterion Channel uh, bit by bit, 
there were uh, I, I have always wanted to see all of uh, all of the early Jean-Luc Godard films, everything through Weekend, okay. basically, and all of them, uh, all of the all of the full features, with the exception of one, uh, are currently on Criterion Channel. And so I I hunkered down and rewatched some of the ones I hadn't watched for a few years and watched all of the new ones. So in a brief period of time, I went through Alphaville, Pierre LeFou, Made in USA, two or three things I know about her, uh, La Chinois and, and, and Weekend, Ken. And, uh, and uh, I'm so glad I did. <laughs> I know that's super nerdy. Uh, not that I'm recommending these to anybody. If you're not interested, I, I can't tell you to seek these out. Uh uh, well, maybe Pierre Lefou a little bit. Uh, but I'm really glad I did because Godard is, is just someone you need to wrestle with, like Bergman, uh, if you're gonna, if, if you really love this medium. Uh, and it doesn't mean you have to like it. It doesn't mean you have to understand it, but you better, you better expose yourself to it and you better take it in because they were operating on a completely different level than everybody else. <laughs> and, uh, and they had seen so much and done so much and they were such interesting artists that uh, I was excited to finally see this amazing uh, take in all of this amazing period of to think the, the, he made something like 13 films in eight eight years uh, and they're all they, they, like like the Beatles they just evolved so quickly and so rapidly and attempted to do so much Uh and the least, and I, I, the best, the ex, best explanation, if you don't, if, if you're, if you don't think you're interested is at one point, my wife came in when I was watching one of them and said, uh, is it, she asked me, was I enjoying whatever it was I was watching? And I had to pause it and take a minute and look at her and go, that's not, that's not the point. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not why he made the movie. He's, he's not, he didn't make the movie for me to watch it and enjoy it. It's that's not what it's about. I'm really glad I'm watching it. <laughs> mm. That's that's not the same as enjoyment. Uh, but boy, uh, it was really fun to go through these, especially the early ones. I love the guitars with uh, Anna Karina. She was as the best. She was she was she was the best possible muse for him. Uh, probably my favorite guitar film is uh, A Woman Is a Woman, which if you've never seen it is very early and is currently on Criterion Channel. Uh, and if you've never seen it, it's really this, it's uh, this great, uh, I, I'm thoroughly convinced it's, it's a major influence on Wes Anderson that he's never fessed up to. <laughs> he did, he did a whole, you know, Amex film where he, he bowed to Truffaut, but really this film has a much bigger influence on him visually than any of Truffaut's work. Uh, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it was so much fun to wrestle with one of the great, filmographies in the history of cinema and that was how i spent the early part of of my quarantine chris nice. totally nerding out on old french films very nice I, it makes me feel very bad about what's to come here no uh, <laughs> because my next <laughs> my next choice is available on hbo right now um it, it's not quite godard but uh it, it is fast and furious presents hobbs and shaw <laughs> <laughs> um emma my oldest loves that movie loves that movie i the fast and the furious franchise is just to me it's the weirdest thing in the world uh it is the only movie series where i can say you gotta stick through the first four and it gets good at five um 
<laughs> no, I'm gonna stick up for one. Okay. I like one. I I, I don't hate. I, one. I, I like I like one a great deal actually. Uh, I, I I don't hate one. I don't you know I. I need to go back and see it that's one i literally have not seen since theaters um i remember reviewing the fourth one and just hating every second of it uh trudging into fast five and feeling like i'd had a religious conversion when i left because i had (laughs) such a great time with fast five which is just it's the moment the series locked in and kind of understood what it is which is it's big and dumb with a big, stupid heart to it that that somehow works. And I've, I've enjoyed the rest of the series since then. Um, Hobbs and Shaw, for whatever reason, I never saw when it was in theaters. I never got around to it, uh, even though I enjoy the works of uh, Mr. Dwayne Johnson and Jason Statham quite a bit. Um, I just never got around to it. So I, when it popped up on HBO, I was really happy. Um, it's, you know... It, it, it definitely is a Fast and the Furious type movie. Uh, have you seen Hobbs and Shaw yet? So here's the interesting: which which Fast and Furious is the, ends with the with the uh, the longest runway in the history of runways? I believe is that's that five s- or six. That would be six. Okay, so I'll, I will confess to you: the only Fast and the Furious movies I have seen are one, six, and Hobbs and Shaw. Okay, that's it. Okay, <laughs> but yes, I did see Hobbs and Shaw because I will. I am uh I I am a Jason Statham fan, and so when they were to bring him front and center, like you you can have my money. That and the fact that uh, my my oldest feels uh, much the same way. So we we knew from the first trailer that we were definitely seeing Hobbs and Shaw. Okay, uh, I would also recommend that he is pretty prominent in seven and eight, uh, in which he is the villain. Um, in fact, in in number seven, I believe he's basically playing Michael Myers, just showing up at random times to try and kill the team. Um, I, you know, I have a good time with the Fast and the Furious movies. They are, I think they're a lot of fun. Uh, Hobbs and Shaw really pairs off, you know, Dwayne Johnson's secret agent character and Statham's, who I thought was a killer, but is really a spy or something now. Um, really what they've done is... <laughs> brought these two guys together to remake Tango and Cash. Um, it, it really is a movie that wants to be Tango and Cash. Every every single line is a wisecrack. The whole gist of it is they hate each other. And by the way, they've got to fight Idris Elba. Um, it, it's really bizarre to think about the fact that this whole series started off with Dodge Neons trying to steal TV sets. Uh-huh. And now it's basically a superhero franchise. Um, and it's, you know, if I say it's big and dumb, I, I, I don't even know if that's a criticism because that's what the franchise it's just a description. does. Yeah. Just a description. But there is a fight at the end that I swear takes place at night and with no explanation switches to daytime in the middle of it. Um, <laughs> yeah. th- there are random Ryan Reynolds cameos um, that I quite enjoyed because I do enjoy Ryan Reynolds. Um, but I really, I-, I guess here's the thing is I- it embraced the stupidity and the loudness of a fast and the furious movie. But I just really saw how much that series gains from having Vin Diesel as this just kind of dopey, sincere guy who's treating this like it's a soap opera, uh, who is just so invested in in the heart of the Fast and the Furious series, which sounds ludicrous and is absolutely crazy, 
but it balances the stupidity and the loudness so well. And that's missing in Hobbs and Shaw, which is just a look how ridiculous this is. And uh, I mean, I enjoyed it for what it is, but it definitely did not rise to the level of a Fast and the Furious movie for me. It was really missing that kind of <laughs> just really it was neither fast nor furious enough for you. It, oh, it was maybe too fast and too furious, which is a totally other movie. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's it, it didn't have I, I've called it the lunkhead sincerity. It just doesn't have that, and uh, that's the secret sauce that makes the Fast and the Furious movie so good, is that Vin <laughs> Diesel actually believes this shit, and uh, that that's not in Hobbs and Shaw. It's worth seeing on HBO if you got a few hours to kill, but uh, definitely not not up to the family uh, family criteria. <laughs> as, as, as taken from someone who's seen them all, that is that is good to know. <laughs> What's next for you, Perry? Uh, so I programmed myself a, 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 a double feature on Criterion one night of uh, 80s vampire films that I had Ooh. never seen. Nice. And so I I watched a double feature back-to-back of The Hunger and Near Dark. Oh, I have not seen either. Which is um, a, 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 a very interesting double feature. Mm-hmm. I cannot say that I really liked either film. That's not to say there are moments I like in both films, but I don't think either film works real well. Uh, the Hunger being much more problematic than Near Dark. Uh, but The Hunger was Tony Scott's first movie yep. as director. And it's uh, uh, Catherine Deneuve and Susan Sarandon and uh, David Bowie. Uh, and boy, really, do I need to say anything else after that? <laughs> nope. And Vampires... Uh, and a, a completely insane, uh, nonsensical plot. Uh, and it, it, at the time, it was a big deal because there is this very famous, uh, long protracted uh, sexual encounter between Sarandon and Deneuve in the movie. Uh, and that's very much what they sold the movie on at the time. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, 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 it works. It's, uh, it's fine. I have no complaints. Uh, but, but I don't know exactly what the point of all this is. And boy, doesn't that describe pretty much every Tony Scott movie? Absolutely. So we, he had his style right out of the gate. And it is fascinating to watch that. And I also think it's interesting if you're going to hire David Bowie and you're going to put David Bowie on screen. I don't know why you choose to bury him under giant, giant layers of makeup for the vast majority of his brief time on, on the screen. <laughs> it's an insane decision to me. But hey – Whatever Tony Scott was into, God bless you. It's a it's a it's a very odd film, uh, and if any of that is of interest to you, please feel free to check it out. Near Dark was Catherine Bigelow's first movie. Uh, it's a, a Texas vampire tale that uh, has a lot of energy, as you might expect. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a great. It's it. She's a very talented director. I don't care for her choice of material a lot of the time. Uh, but she just has that innate understanding of how to put a scene together visually in a way that makes you want to continue to watch it. Uh, and that's, that talent is, is fully on display. It would be used to much better purposes <laughs> in later films. Uh, but it, it is, it, it has a really, it, it, it was really interesting to watch both of these films because there is this really strong feminine presence in both movies. It is 
I, I don't want to quite say, you know, <laughs> more problematic in the hunger, but they are both, their films about female vampires. And that's in and of itself kind of interesting. And to watch these incredibly two, these two very diff, different, but both, both equally stylized in their own way takes on, on, on a female vampire story was, was really interesting viewing. And I'm, I'm glad I did this. Fantastic. I have thought about adding Near Dark to my queue. Um, I really I really enjoy some of Catherine Bigelow's stuff, uh, but also I know Bill Paxton's in that, and I do enjoy a good Bill Paxton performance. Um, so I've thought about adding that. I, I have... Um, I, Bill Paxton, for me, is um, either great or unwatchable. <laughs> I have no middle ground with Bill Paxton. I either find him so annoying that it wrecks the movie... And he's kind of close to that for me here, or okay. or just super compelling. Like he can be, and, and I I generally like Bill Paxton better, uh, quieter. I don't like Bill Paxton going big. I think Bill Paxton big is too big for Matt for my taste the vast mm-hmm. majority of the time. And oh oh, is he big in Near Dark? <laughs> <laughs> well, I love to add that to my list. I, I've been that's been one I've wanted to catch up with for a few years. Um, mine is going totally different spectrum now. Um, we caught up recently, we did a family night, and we watched, um, Onward on Disney+, Plus, the new Pixar movie, uh, which had a... I have not seen it yet, how is it? It's the new Pixar movie. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, no, I mean, okay, I... Onward is... It's fine, that's what I've been telling people. It's, it's an enjoyable movie, um, it is... It, it takes place in this world where it was kind of this magical fantasy world where after a while they discovered technology made things easier. So they just kind of let, you know, they kind of got lazy and built up this society and lost the magic. And of course, two brothers decide they have to reclaim the magic and it, it allows them to maybe res- resurrect their dead father. And they go on this journey. Um, you know, it, it's a typical, it's a Pixar movie. So it's a buddy comedy it's a road trip. There are, uh, there's a magical world that looks a lot like ours with all our, you know, all our branding and things like that, just with puns modified. It, I mean, this is what you expect from DreamWorks. Uh, you know what I mean? It's, it, it's, yeah. it, it, it's, it, I, I don't know. It's a very frustrating movie. Um, on the one hand, I really like Chris Pratt and Tom Holland as the two brothers. I think Chris Pratt in particular, there's a lot of heart he brings to it that I didn't expect. I mean, obviously he can do the funny stuff well, but he brings a lot of heart to a character who would normally be very cliche. I think Pixar knows how to deliver a gag like few other companies. Um, they they know how to time out a good gag, and there are several laughs in the movie. They know how to make you cry. Um, and I, I will admit, I got choked up at the end. Um, but it all felt like Pixar was doing this because this is what Pixar knows how to do. And they were hitting all the beats you'd expect. So there's the buddy comedy. There's the road trip. There's the unexpected lesson that's probably going to hit adults harder than it hits kids. There are puns. Um, and they're all very well done. But it's this movie that talks about taking the path less traveled and being risky and learning to be brave and it's <laughs> it's such a safe movie like it there is nothing it tries that is 
different than anything else. It, it feels very straight down the middle. The thing Pixar is expected to do uh, that they've That's done well in the past. Point. And, you know, it's enjoyable. I, I, I enjoyed the movie. My kids loved it. They've watched it several times since. But, um, yeah, it, it was, I, I turned it off and I'm like, well, that was fine. And fine is just, that's a bar Pixar should have cleared a long ago. Um, it, it really just feels hitting all the expected beats. And yeah, I was a little disappointed. It's weird to be disappointed in a movie I enjoyed, but, uh, you know, I, I think about what Pixar was doing 10 years ago and they just aren't making those choices anymore. And it kind of bums me out. I mean, every yeah. once in a while they will, there's an inside out. I think soul looks very promising, but, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you know, I, I think I would have felt more disappointed had we seen it in a theater and paid for it. Uh, this was just on Disney Plus, and we got to see it, and we forgot about it afterwards, and that's onward. It's fine. <laughs> so, it, it's it's worth a look, but yeah, don't, I, I didn't get much more out of it than that. What do you got next? I uh, I went and revisited, uh, going through, uh, we talked about Paul Schrader's films being on uh, Criterion Channel uh, a few months ago. We did. We both watched Hardcore. Uh, I went back and revisited Autofocus, which oh. I had seen in the theaters and liked a great deal mm-hmm. and uh, wanted to see again. And I'm sharing this because it's this wonderful, uh, unexpected preview for something that we will be talking about uh, very shortly in future ep- in a future episode. Uh, I did not realize, I did not retain that Autofocus is adapted from a, a true crime novel about the, the murder of, of uh, Bob Crane, of course, uh, and that that nonfiction book was written by Robert Graysmith. Oh, really? Does that name know. ring a bell for you? Ah, there it goes. Yes, yes indeed. The character yes. that Jake Gyllenhaal plays in Zodiac and who the, the script of Zodiac is based on Grace Smith's two books about mm-hmm. about searching for the Zodiac killer. Uh, and so that was that was one of those things like, I guess I, sh- I should watch this again. I haven't seen it there. I want to see it. And then it was, that popped up and I was like, oh, I'm going to watch super close. <laughs> <laughs> I never realized there was something else like this. Uh, and that was a really interesting rewatch. I had uh, I had the exact same reaction I had it the first time. I think it's a really I think it's it's one of Schrader's very good films. Uh, what's amazing now, and I didn't catch it at the time, or I don't remember thinking it, is uh, how much Greg Kinnear does Jim Carrey in the movie. Mm-hmm. It's very, very modeled on Jim Carrey, which I did not remember uh, uh, at the time. Uh, uh, and that uh, and that Willem Dafoe, who has worked with Schrader a bunch of times, is uh, just one of the great uh sleazy dirtbags in the history of movies in the movies he's really oily and scuzzy and like you were saying earlier about tiger king you just you kind of want to take a shower after after this movie uh uh but it's worth checking out i'm glad i revisited and if you've never seen autofocus uh absolutely check it out it's 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 a it's a good piece of work from schrader I remember seeing Autofocus several years ago, um, probably right after it came out when it was on home video. Uh, and if my memory serves me correctly, I made the choice to watch that and Requiem for a Dream in the same day. And um, I, oh, yeah, that, that was definitely geez. that was definitely a heavy day. Uh, I, I do remember. I don't remember much about Autofocus. I do remember really like. Wow. Yeah, I remember really liking Greg Kinnear. I remember feeling 
really bad when the movie was over, but I think I felt worse after Requiem for a Dream. Um, but yeah, I, it's, it's been years since I've seen that, but I um, remember appreciating it. You know, I've never done cocaine before, but <laughs> since I'm doing it, I might as well try heroin the same day. That's basically it. Genius <laughs> idea. <laughs> there, there, was, there was a good long cry after that. <laughs> and a shower and a cry. I just, I just picture you alone. That classic scene in any movie where you're just sitting in the shower, stall yep. running over, and you're crying. Yep. <laughs> just to purge everything out of you. Yes, I can see that. It's been a hard day. <laughs> um. <laughs> so, so my next choice is actually a movie I saw shortly before. Uh, I, I saw it shortly before uh, everything got locked down. Um, because it was supposed to hit theaters the Friday of the lockdown. And so it means it probably played for three days before it was pulled off screen. Um, I think you can rent it through a few movie theaters in the area now. Um, and it is the Irish comedy Extraordinary. Um, I saw it! Which I... I saw it! I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, it's, it's a... Kind of, you know, kind of a scrappy little Irish movie um, I, I, about a ghost hunter who is, you know, she's the standard ghost hunter who is not doing it anymore because there's been a tragedy in her past. She's pulled back in because a widower uh, wants some help with his daughter and with his poltergeist wife. Um, and somehow they get roped into this whole affair with Will Forte is a satanic rock star who's, who's, you know, summoned a demon to help get his <laughs> stardom back. Um, I, you know, I was really intrigued by this one. I had heard good reviews of it out of Sundance last year. Um, I always will show up for a good Will Forte performance. Um, what I was surprised was how much I liked the smaller stuff a lot better than the broader stuff in this. Um, yes. There, yes. There's, there's this really fun idea that they don't do a ton with. But the idea that ghosts could actually be inhabiting little insignificant things. Um, and I think the funniest joke in the movie is at the very beginning of the movie when someone asks, have you ever coughed in your sleep? You might have swallowed a ghost. And <laughs> that line just made me laugh really hard. <laughs> um, but there's this really sweet love story uh, that kind of develops in this really sweet character who's who's at the forefront of this. Um, and I'm blanking on the actress. I have it on IMDb. Um, it is Maeve Higgins p- plays Rose. And it is just a really endearing performance. This this lady who's really shut off, who kind of comes back to life as she starts helping this man out. And they kind of form this tentative, funny romance. Um, yeah, it, it's a really sweet movie in places. It's It's got some really funny laughs. And then Will Forte's in a totally different movie which is bigger and broader, and yet it's a different movie, but I don't think it's less funny. It's it's just a totally different thing. And then at the end, none of it combined in a way that made me very happy. But uh, it, it was definitely a fun watch. They didn't figure out, like, they, they, it's just the pacing that's off. Mm-hmm. Like, I agree with you that he's he's playing in a different key, but I don't mind those keys together. Like, I didn't have a problem when those worlds collided, I just had a problem with how tortured plot-wise they had to get through to get there. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is an insanely likable movie. Mm-hmm. It's so just incredibly li- – like this is the movie I would recommend to anybody. If I didn't know you, I would say check this out. 
This is really enjoyable. It's just a, it is a, like you were saying, it's all those wonderful things. It is sweet, small, uh, uh, just charming. It's mm-hmm. so likable and um, such a better use of the same kind of concept they're using in The Invisible Man to, <laughs> to tell a much better story and a much more compelling story. Uh, and, and one that, one that at its best is kind of just as scary in the early moments when that stuff is going on. I'm trying to be very coy here and not say too much. Uh, it's great. Yeah. It's, it's a really, enjoy- I mean, it's not great, but it's really thoroughly, surprisingly highly enjoyable. Even when it starts to fall apart, you have such goodwill towards it that, oh, it's fine. And it doesn't derail completely by any means. I don't mean to imply that it's a disastrous third act. It's just, it, it, it stumbles where it was light earlier uh, throughout in, in, in the transition into the final big sequence. But that final big sequence uh, worked. For, I enjoyed it. I, I thought it really played well. I liked the movie a great deal. It does a lot with some very likable characters. That it, it's Yeah, it, it's a very enjoyable thing I'd recommend. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, sorry. I, I was stopping for a second. But yeah, no, it's, it's a very enjoyable thing. I love the performance by the guy. I, I don't know his name off the top of my head, and I, I didn't bother to look at the time. But I love the guy for uh, that's a really when he's when he becomes the. I, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say he becomes the medium yes, through which he yes. operates the dead, and he gives it's a wonderful performance. He he's uh, that's it's really impressive how he alters himself uh, physically to to uh, to show how different people have are, are taking him over. Yes, it's really good. It's a really enjoyable piece of work. Yes, and you can see that. I think several theaters, Cinema Detroit was, I know, one of them that had it as available as a digital rental where kind of some of the money kicks right back to them. So if you can find that, you're going to see a good movie. You're going to help a theater. So I'd recommend you search that out. Perry, what else you got? Uh, so um, for whatever reason, maybe it was maybe it was reading those uh, Patricia Bosworth biographies. I went on a kick of... Uh, of of fifties fifties uh, movies of uh, uh, the Big Knife, uh, which is an adaptation of uh, Clifford Odette's play about about uh, Hollywood. Uh, the Harder They Fall, which is the uh, 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 sorry Humphrey Bogart's last movie, in which he plays a he plays a sports writer who gets uh, hired by a, a, a underworldy sort of uh, guy played by Rod Steiger to. Uh, hype up a a this hulking 275 pound like six foot nine nine south american guy that they bring in who they want to turn into a boxing champion uh and then also i rewatched on the waterfront because i hadn't seen it in forever and and wanted to watch it and what i realized after watching all three of those films is i've watched a whole lot of rod steiger <laughs> throw in the fact that i watched i i watched in the heat of the night a couple months ago and I'm like, I have seen a lot of Rod Steiger. And you know what? Rod Steiger is an infuriatingly uneven actor. <laughs> Even within the same movie. Um, he so, like, when Rod, it's truly that problem of, it's, you know, when, when you see somebody like Brando or Montgomery Clift who understood how to take those, the, 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 the you know, the, the, the skills of acting at the time. And they weren't the same. To be fair, Cliff was not a true method guy. He did not study at the actor's studio. He was, he showed up at the actor's studio a few times, but he was not active in it the way a lot of other people were. Uh, 
you watch the naturalism they bring to that. And then you watch Steiger, who can occasionally do that. And when he does see natural, he's really good. And then half the time just seems like he's yelling. And he, he's got enough presence that he can get away with that a little bit, <laughs> but not all the time. Uh, and I don't, and it's, I, I, I love it because you can see where, you can see where Brando and Cliff become the touchstones for all of the actors in the seventies that, that we adore. You know, you can see the direct line to Pacino and De Niro and Hoffman. And, uh, it's fascinating to watch somebody who has some of that talent and can't quite control it <laughs> side by side with guys who have complete command over it all the time. Uh, and so I've watched so much more Rod Steiger than I intended. I may have to go back and watch the pawnbroker. Cause I know that's sitting there in that wonderful section of, uh, of, uh, uh, they've got a collection of films on the criterion channel right now that were all scored by Quincy Jones, mm-hmm. which is a great way to go through movies. Uh, and, uh, that was, that was really, really interesting. Uh, to realize I had accidentally programmed myself a Rod Steiger film festival. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I think, I think it might be over now, which I'm also very happy with. I don't know what I'll be watching tonight, but hopefully it will not have Rod Steiger in it for the time being. <laughs> and those are all on Criterion? They, um, yes, they are at least through, uh, they might not be by the time this airs. <laughs> They were in April. I don't know if the I don't know if on the waterfront or the heart of they fall or so. I don't know about any of them. I don't know about any of them. I forget what's what leaving at the end of the month. All right. Um, I'm going to go next with a movie you have been recommending to me for a very long time. Um, you know that I enjoy a good movie about faith. Uh, I have a faith background. I'm really interested in movies that blend theology and doctrine and questions of faith with good performances and good stories. Uh, and you have recommended the movie Longford to me for the <gasps> past, past few years. And so on Easter oh. weekend, Easter weekend, I was oh, like, you know, this seems... Viewing time. Yep. Uh, so I found it. It's on HBO Plus. Um, and, or whatever HBO is called now when you don't have the channel. HBO <laughs> Now, I think. But uh, it is on there. It is a British movie. Um... It is directed by Mr. Katz himself, Tom Hooper. Um, <laughs> it stars Jim Broadbent as a uh, British lord who, uh, it's a true story, uh, kind of risked his whole career and reputation by befriending a uh, convicted murderer. And played by Samantha Morton. Um, I I really, I, I really appreciated that you recommended this movie because... I really loved it. Um, Good. I, I mean, oh, first I off, would. just the performances, Broadbent and Morton are fantastic. Yeah. Um, I, I loved watching them together. I think Jim Broadbent just really, he brings decency to life, which is, uh, you know, not always an easy <laughs> thing to do because it's very easy to make that cheesy. It's very easy to make decency and conviction a very cheesy kind of cliche thing. And he doesn't do that. Like you buy his conviction. Yeah. And I think Samantha Morton does this really admirable job of portraying someone who you're not quite sure how to feel about. Like she is someone who are you are very sympathetic to by turns and very appalled by at other turns. Uh, and yeah. she somehow does that and you still running throughout it. There's still a empathy for her. 
Um, Andy Serkis is actually really good, too, in a few brief scenes. It's my favorite thing he's ever done. <laughs> I will say this right now. This is my favorite <laughs> performance Andy Serkis has ever given. He's really he's good. He's outstanding in this. He is really good in this. Um, but what I really loved is I don't know that I have ever seen a movie um, that really captures the fact that, you know what, doing the right thing, being a good person, it really costs a lot. Um, I mean, you can see it portrayed in the fact that people might lose their jobs or their reputation might hurt. But this film really captures just the loneliness of doing a good thing, of being a person of conviction. And uh, it, it really, it's, it's a movie that I wish a lot of Christian filmmakers watched because I've always said I don't want to see the movie yeah. where people pray and win the ball game. I want to see what happens when they pray and don't win the ball game. Um, and this is yeah. really a movie that's like that. It's this idea that you can do the right thing and you can still suffer for doing the right thing. And what does that mean? And um, yeah, I, this is a movie. It really moved me. I, I was really, I was talking to my wife about it for several, several hours the next day. Um, and I, you know, it, it's a movie I think I'm going to return to when I kind of want to point people toward a good movie about people of faith. Uh, so I appreciated that recommendation. It definitely worked with me. So uh, I was glad to finally get around to that one. Yeah, I am. I am always impressed with films that. Yeah, like you, you expressed it really well. That are about. It's not even about doing the right thing. It's about conviction, mm -hmm. as you're saying. Like it's about it's about having faith, and it doesn't have to be religious. It would work for any other purpose as well. Mm -hmm. It's whatever it is that commitment to a, a philosophy, not a cause, not you know, for the betterment of something else. I'm not talking about martyrdom. Mm -hmm. I'm talking, yeah, I'm talking about the price of faith, the cost of faith, the demands of faith. It's a fascinating topic that so few films wrestle with and almost none wrestle with, with the seriousness of this movie. And, and also I don't mean to imply that it's, <laughs> that it's, you know, it, it, it deals with some really harsh stuff. Uh, the murders that they deal with, which are real life murders, the, mm -hmm. the, the most arguably the most infamous murders in British history yep. uh, are brutal and horrible. And it doesn't shy away from them, not in the sense that you have to see them, but it doesn't shy away from the horror of them or the fact that you are perfectly in the right to continue to be horrified by them. Uh, it, it's, it's a just a remarkable movie. Yeah. It really is. I, 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 I really love it. And, I will not watch Cats because I love it so much. <laughs> That's yeah. I, I, I in fact I think I turned it off, went back to my home screen on Roku, and there was an ad for Cats up in the corner, <laughs> and I'm like, oh. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I would definitely. I, I think this is, Tom Hooper is really good with his direction in this one, and um, maybe he needs to go back to something like that. Um, yeah. What else you got? What else have you seen? That's I, I've seen a bunch of stuff, but we don't need to get into any more of it right now. Okay, I could just start listing the stuff, but that was that was all I prepped for to talk about and to share. Uh, and uh, I mean, some of the stuff we're going to be talking about in in a few weeks. Uh, there was a revisit of Zodiac with my daughter, uh, and we're going to be talking about uh, Fincher in a little bit. And uh, I'm I'm uh, let's see, yeah, just all kinds of stuff, Chris. It's not, it's, it's, it is the best part of this. <laughs> Some might say the <laughs> I only I spend good part so much this, time but... with my kids and to watch movies. 
it's just you know this I, I you know I, I, I it's horrible I want this to be over for the rest of the world but in my own little corner of it things things are okay right now <laughs> things are okay right now well I had two more but I'm gonna save one of them for uh, what we're watching next week I think because it's a recent one people can rent so I want to kind of take the time to talk about it then but I did want to single out that um, it's probably my favorite watch of the whole time. I'm so glad I sat down and watched it, is I finally sat down once this lockdown set in and I needed a night to escape into something beautiful. I watched uh, Umbrellas of Cherbourg on Criterion Channel. And um, I just... I, the, this was, I did not know what to expect from it. Um, I... You know, I, I think I had known it was sung through, literally sung through, even yes. the, the things you would not think make a song are sung through. Um, yes. But man, what a beautiful movie. What 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 a beautiful movie. Um, Catherine Deneuve, who would go on to, of course, star in the famous The Hunger that you watched. Uh, she is just... Yes. You the, watched a much better Catherine Deneuve movie. Oh my gosh. There are there are frames where you, you just kind of gasp, uh, just... It, 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 it's her look. It's just how her presence on that screen is just gorgeous. The colors in this just pop. I, there's a really nice feature with yeah. um, Pat Oswalt on the Criterion Channel, uh, or yeah, Criterion Channel about this, and he he describes it as it's like the walls are made of candy, and uh, it's just this beautiful <laughs> popping color. I love just there, there's not even songs that you could say necessarily. Like it's not like songs start and stop the whole thing is a song and just there are certain melodies that repeat but um man it weaves its way into you and just kind of like wraps itself around you um and then just it ends like it's such a like you think of the musical as this big sprawling you know emotionally bombastic thing and this is just this bittersweet small story that just when it hits it hits like right in the gut. Um, and you just, I, you know, I, I also can't go back and watch La La Land now because I just see how much this movie took a lot of what it did and was originally doing it better. Um, and I like yes. La La Land quite a bit, but uh, man, the ending to this one just kicks you in the kidneys. Um, yeah. 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 It's, it's really, really one I was impressed by. I loved it. Um, I think there, there, his other musical on there, Young Girls of uh, Rochefort. Rochefort. He, uh, that is also on Criterion. I have had that recommended to me. Uh, so yes, I, especially now, if you loved Umbrellas of Sherberg, it's 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 also very good. It's you know it 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 doesn't improve upon it at all, but it's absolutely worth seeing. And right in the middle of that, check out the other Deneuve films right in there. If you've never seen Repulsion, uh, okay. it's so good. Repulsion is. Just Repulsion is the movie that makes you realize, oh, that's all Aronofsky was doing in Black Swan, because <laughs> that's all he was doing in Black Swan. Okay. Repulsion is a much better movie. Uh, and also, I believe Belle de Jour is right in there, her, the film she did, he did, she did with uh, Bunuel, which is just a fabulous, uh, d- uh, d- you know, a, a typical great Bunuelian kinky uh, 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 Freudian trip into the... Uh, the sexual yearnings of the of the upper middle class. It's really good. It's, it's already a really in, fun movie. It's already in my queue. <laughs> so, Excellent. Uh, yep, yep. Excellent. Well, that brings us to the end. Uh, this was a nice sprawling episode, but I hope we left you all with many options to go watch. And 
we definitely want to hear what you've been watching. So hit us up on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, wherever, and let us know what you're watching. We'll share more recommendations with you through there. Just uh, let us know. And let us know where we can find it, too. There are so many streaming outlets to uh, kind of weave through. But, uh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Let us know. Uh, Perry, I'm really excited because starting with our next episode, we are going to start our first miniseries. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm really excited. We've just This just kind of was something we stumbled upon last week, talking a lot of, about how there were many good movies released in 1995 so we're gonna do five from 95 and uh indeed next week we will start with a discussion of david fincher's seven uh so you'll want to definitely tune in for that one perry in the meantime Until we've talked about a bunch mm-hmm. and we're gonna talk about it a bunch more everybody yes yes you'll definitely want to hear what's in our box there um perry <laughs> where can you be found yes chris I can be found, you know, hunkered down at home like everybody <laughs> else. But you can find me on Facebook uh, under my regular name. You can find me at Twitter at Perry Loves Film. Uh, you can, uh, you know, if you see me and I have headphones on, I'm probably listening to music. And it's probably the new Fiona Apple album, which is utterly fantastic. Fetch the Bolt Cutters. Yes, it is. Uh, I've been listening uh, recommended, to that. Recommended download now. And if I have earbuds in, I'm listening to the podcast, but it, not this one. I promise you, I'm not that psychotic. I don't, I don't listen to my own voice. Once I've spoken, once I know what I've said, I'm no longer interesting. Well, once you've spoken, you've how spoken about you, Chris? Where can there. we find you? Uh, well, as always, you can find me hiding from my kids in the bathroom. Uh, is basically where I'm spending most of my time right now. But uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mere Christianity, and you can find me on Facebook. And you can find me writing about film at BHM Pop Culture, uh, which is also where you can find this podcast and numerous other podcasts. So we will be back in one week. <laughs>